Previously on The Undertaker and Kane, The Undertaker was a dude who was kind of spooky, and he was in wrestling in 91. But then in 97, they decided to spice him up by giving him a brother that he murdered. Or maybe his brother murdered him, but didn't actually... They One of them murdered their parents and lit the house on fire, but no one knows who lit the house on fire. But Paul Bearer is the Undertaker's stepdad, kind of, who had an affair with his mom, and that is where Kane came from, so Kane is his half-brother. And he doesn't want to fight Kane because he's his brother. He made a promise to his dead parents that he burned that he wouldn't fight his brother, but he did fight his brother. Then he fought his brother, and he won a lot. He wanted every single pay-per-view where he fought his brother until his brother beat him on tv sometimes and then he became a biker and then he was a biker for a long time and no one liked it when he was a biker and kane also didn't like it when he was a biker but sometimes he and kane would team up when he was a biker but then kane buried him because he was a biker it's me austin the numbers don't lie and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice i did it for the ride Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training. Introducing first your longtime fan, short-time podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton, the Devil's, eh, he's alright, Demon Green. And introducing his tag team partner, making his debut in the wacky world of fighting fools, the phenomenal Zach Barlow. Oh, I didn't know you were AJ Styles. Oh, um, I forgot. Mm, how about how about the Phantom? It's like Phenom, but I'm a Phantom too, so I'm like a Ghost Undertaker. He's Danny Phantom. Wouldn't that be wild? It would be. You know what else is wild? The Undertaker and Kane. Indeed. This is a show for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. We're going to take you through some of the biggest shows, matches, and rivalries in wrestling history, or at least the ones I could talk about for the next foreseeable future. And if you know nothing about wrestling, don't worry. Fret not, my friend. Be comforted in knowing that I don't either. So, Peyton, what are we going to be talking about today? We're going to be continuing our... uh... Undertaker and Kane story. So, two weeks ago, we we started talking about this very crazy, wonky, wacky, kooky storyline that has been, you know, a big part of these two men's careers forever. Uh, pretty much, the Undertaker versus Kane. Uh, we talked about their beginnings, their rivalry, them teaming together a little bit, their superpowers, and, uh, their superpowers of which they have many. You know, this was actually around the time I started watching wrestling, and I remember this very vividly of, like, this whole, like, oh, shit, Undertaker's coming back. And you got to think, when you've lived with Biker Taker for, gosh, you know, three and a half years, you kind of are, like, you're so ready and so amped for fucking fucking Dead Man Taker to come back. Yeah, man, so I feel a lot like— of hype going into this match. I feel like it's the same feeling that, like, Star Wars fans had going in to see Episode Seven. Exactly. Yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't really know what he's going to look like. You don't know what he's going to do, you know. 
And apparently Undertaker was a little bit uh, worried about this himself because he he felt like he was really limited when he was the dead man because he felt like he was able to, you know, do more. He did a lot more striking moves, a lot more submission moves when he was Biker Taker. I will say and this is that Biker Taker's wrestling might be better. Here, But what they did, they compromised, is they basically let him keep a lot of aspects of Biker Taker as far as his moveset, a little bit of his attire, and bring that into, like, the Dead Man persona. So I think that the Undertaker we get post-Biker Taker is actually, like, prime Undertaker. Although it doesn't really show here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because Undertaker has lots of good matches with other people who aren't Kane. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a reason that he is so well-known and respected in wrestling, and you're. I think you're correct. The problem in this, in these matches that we're covering, and a problem in, I mean, we talked about it last time too, Undertaker-Kane matches kind of suck. Yeah, and I, I really don't know why, that, why they've never had a, they haven't had anything really that's not, not barely, like, barely decent is about as best as I can call an Undertaker and Kane match. Yeah. I don't think they get any better than barely decent. Uh, I agree, I agree. And I don't know why that is, because they're both good, they're just not good together. I guess some people just don't work together. Which is weird, because it's the one guy they picked to be tethered to Undertaker for life. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, in the weeks leading up to WrestleMania 20, uh, Undertaker starts, like, kind of showing up, but not really, like, the lights will go off while Kane is wrestling, the gongs will go off, uh, lightning will strike, the lights will go blue, shit will happen to, to freak Kane out. Uh, it, it first starts with, uh, at the Royal Rumble... Uh, when Kane gets eliminated, um, when when Undertaker's music distracts him, uh, and that's a while between because Survivor Series happens in November, and then Royal Rumbles in January. We we hear nothing from Undertaker in in those two months, um, a, until until we get that gong going off. You know, um, okay, so so Undertaker's music starts with sort of the funeral march, right? Yeah, who? Who sat down and was like, I'm going to write a bop for funerals? It's Undertaker. You, oh, you're saying Undertaker himself wrote the, the funeral march? Yes. I like it. I like this lore. Undertaker and Paul Bearer. The Undertaker and Paul Bearer band. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we get this pre-match promo, WrestleMania 20, uh, where we get kind of the little backstory about it, where and we have like those creepy girls singing "Ring Around the Rosies." Yes, yes. Um, so Taker's playing the mind games before Kane finally challenges him to a match at WrestleMania. And I remember the lead up to this. You know, when they would like kind of do the rundown for the match card. That you know they'd pull up a graphic that shows both you know wrestlers. And for re- for this match, they would show Kane, and they just showed like. Like a grave for Undertaker, so they were really keeping up the mystery. Yeah, no, I like the idea, too, that, like, basically, like you were saying, like, Undertaker hasn't been seen in two months. So at this point, Kane is essentially challenging a ghost. Yeah, and then we get to WrestleMania. WrestleMania is in March. He hasn't been seen since November, so it's been a long time. So there is a lot of build-up to this. That it's is one awesome. Of the most, 
It's probably one of the most anticipated matchups on the card. It The match plays second to last on WrestleMania 20, despite it not being a championship match or anything. And in the current WWE lore, this is the main event for WrestleMania 20 because Chris Benoit is in the real main event. Oof. So, according to WWE, this is, this is the last match on WrestleMania 20. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Kane, Kane comes out. Uh, I, I guess I should mention, um, uh, I, I, this is our first time seeing unmasked Kane in this show. He just looks um, like a big baby. I hate He does kind of look like a big baby, doesn't he? I hate him. I mean, him I guess so they much. do make it I mean, look. He is kind of ugly looking, I guess. No offense to the real Glenn Jacobs, although I'm sure that was very offensive. I just called a man ugly. I can't just no offense my he way. He takes out of after that. he takes after his father, that's for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um but I mean, he does play a good job of playing a crazy person. Yeah, no, he he does that that gimmick pretty well. I'll give him that. But I do just I hate that he doesn't have the mask. The mask was so cool. Yeah. Um. Well, but I do like that he has a deep seated hatred for Biker Taker. Yeah, just like all of us. <laughs> he comes out and uh, they're in Madison Square Garden, and so the stage kind of has a New York City skyline, and it lights up on fire, which. Is uh, I'm surprised they did this only you know a few years after 9/11. Um, yeah. Uh, so the the city is on fire. Uh, Kane has a towel on his head because he used to walk out with a towel on his head for some reason. Monsters um, can be sweaty too. And Jr. calls him a psychotic, hideous monster, and it's like, damn. Which I understand why Jr. is so angry. One of the first things that Kane did when he took off his mask was light Jr. on fire. So. yeah that's actually amazing i love that yeah i I mentioned that very briefly he lit jr on fire he tombstone linda mcmahon and he uh hooked up a car battery to shane mcmahon's balls and electrocuted him oh and all of that is great but how much cooler would it have been if he wore his mask while he did it well we couldn't see his expression and him smiling um so, I think it's funny that in the WWE video games, they let you play as old Kane, but they still put a mask on him. They just put a different kind of mask on him. They won't let you play as maskless Kane. Well, uh, oh, well, because he wears a mask now. He, he went back to wearing a mask. Oh, it's just not the same. Yeah, that was weird, because he keeps going back and forth between wearing a mask. And then he went corporate Kane, and he was, like, apparently supposed to be the COO of the company, and he came out wearing a suit all the time, and he just looked like a grandpa. <laughs> that was the worst Kane. Kane wearing a suit, and he would wear, he would wear like, slacks to wrestle in, too. Oh, man, that is the worst. Um, But back to, back to WrestleMania 20, 2004... Uh, Kane's in the ring, the lights go out, and we hear Paul Bearer go, Oh, yeah! (laughs) Uh, here's the thing, Paul Bearer has been gone for a long time, too. He's been gone since, like, 2000, so this is the first time we've seen Paul Bearer in a while. Let me tell you, he comes back looking like a corpse. (laughs) Yeah, he does. Well, that's how he used to look, and then he, like, once Undertaker started getting more human, he started getting more human, too, so... 
I guess Paul Bearer also died. I like that when he comes out, JR starts talking about his horrible, hideous face. And it's like, he doesn't, that's just how this man looks, JR. <laughs> he says that about Kane or Paul Bearer? He says that about Paul Bearer. Oh. Yeah, they always will say lots of stuff about like, oh, he's a just a bulbous, bulging man. <laughs> um, Paul Bearer's carrying an urn as a bunch of druids with torches come out. They are really like selling this interest. This entrance is like the best thing about this whole story. Agreed. Um, and then Taker's music hits and he walks out. Wearing a black trench coat and a cowboy hat. So he's kind of like mixing up his old like western mortician look and his biker taker look. Because he's still, you know, he's like wearing black jeans. Uh, he's, his hair's still kind of short. So it's kind of a mixture, an amalgam of, of, of all the different takers. Ah. Well, um, you know, though, um, I know that Undertaker really loved being biker taker. So, like... Yeah. Because that's know, who he is in real life. Yeah, yeah. He really loves motorcycles. Do you know, like, what was the... Whose call was this uh, to bring him From back? From what I know... Who, to bring him back? Yeah, to bring him back to the dead man. Uh, I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't think it was his. I think he was a little wary of it. I think it was just the creative wanted to see that again because... I, I think that was probably always going to be the plan, just because Biker Taker just couldn't last. People were clamor, people were kind of sick of Biker Taker, and they were clamoring for the Dead Man of of Yore. Oh yeah, no, I, I would have been one of them. I just think it's so cool that you know this is two thousand four, but even even now we're still selling that Undertaker is a an undead person. No, and I love that like that theme keeps on going they never really drop it and i honestly other than when he was a biker yeah other than the brief period of time where he was a biker honestly you know what pissed me off so much what undertaker got a twitter recently and i just don't think the undertaker should be on twitter (laughs) i agree he probably shouldn't it messes with the lore and he'll always like tweet pictures of like him and his wife out to lunch (laughs) And I don't like okay, that. Okay, Undertaker, that's adorable. And I'm glad that you love your wife and that you guys are having lunch. But... He does that sometimes, and then other times he'll just tweet a picture with, like, like an old picture of him wrestling, and he'll just be like, death. Like, he'll just say, like, <laughs> one word. Okay, or he'll be like, caption. I do like the idea that, like, what if he, like, used it in character? He just, like, tweets black pictures. He's like, this is the inside of the coffin. tweets a picture it's all black he's like this is what it's like being buried under all of the dirt a lot of people kind of don't want undertaker to be inducted into the hall of fame because that means he would have to appear out of character really yeah well he never shows up to the hall of fame either the only time he showed up to the hall of fame was for paul bearer's hall of fame induction and even then he showed up in character he just walked out to his music and posed (laughs) yeah um I mean, that is, I guess that that is a good point. But how active is he with the company still? Uh, he only shows up every once in a while. Like, seriously, he maybe has one or two matches a year. He always wrestles at WrestleMania, and then he 
like they put him in their fucking Saudi Arabia shows all the time. He just had a saw a match at their Saudi Arabia show against Goldberg that was like build us this dream match because Undertaker and Goldberg have never wrestled each other. But it was uh, just a piece of shit because I mean Undertaker's fifty four and Goldberg's fifty two. Yeah, no. So no one wants to see the geriatric matches. WWE. Yeah. And Goldberg gave himself a concussion before the match because he he headbutted a door. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, Undertaker. Undertaker really does need to stop wrestling. He hasn't had a really good match in a long, a long time. He he wrestled way pa- like I mean he was consistently having really good matches way past when he should have been, but now he's not, and he's like kind of retired so many times. Like he had a match against Roman Reigns that made it seem like he was retiring because he ended and he like took off his coat and his hat and his gloves and he walked out of the ring and he hugged his wife and he and he left and everyone was like okay I guess he's retired but then he showed up again a year later so. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, that's the thing. You can't, you can't bury this man. He keeps on coming back. Uh, yeah. I do want uh, to say briefly, I know we should get back to the match, but I think we've mentioned it on the show before, but I feel like now is a good time to talk about Undertaker Court. Undertaker Court. Yeah. I haven't really uh, – yeah, I, f- I forgot about that. Yeah, so yeah, what Zach's talking about is they used to have like a wrestler's court Whenever a wrestler would do something, you know, that was, like, against, like, locker room code or whatever, they would gather up a lot of the veterans to kind of have a mock trial for this person who, like, you know, stepped on the wrong toes or whatever, and it was presided by Judge Undertaker. (laughs) Uh, some examples include uh, when a wrestler named Muhammad Hassan, whose gimmick was terrorist, um, in 2004, um, oh. he uh, he started using the camel clutch, and uh, and he told Eddie Guerrero because Eddie Guerrero used the camel clutch. He told Eddie Guerrero not to use it because it was his move, and then Eddie Guerrero was like, "Well." My grandfather invented the move, and so they had wrestler's court with Muhammad Hassan. Oh, man, and I'm betting that uh, that Guerrero came out on top on that one. Oh, for sure, for sure. But no, I just yeah. love, like, it's such a silly, ridiculous concept. So, I mean, can we oh, add that is. to his powers? I, I don't, you know, it, where does it fall into this man's character that he is both an undead zombie, a biker, and a judge? He is judge, jury, and executioner. <laughs> um, all right, let's get back into this. So Undertaker's coming out. Kane is freaking the fuck out. Um, this is an incredible entrance. Taker rolling his eyes into the back of his head. The JR mentions the WrestleMania streak, says he's 11-0. and 0. Um, And Kane says... You're not real. The crowd is super hot for Undertaker. Kane even touches Undertaker to see if he's real, and then that's when Undertaker starts attacking him. Um, so yeah, really the the big lead up was was this this big entrance, and uh, I don't know what it was like to see this when you when you weren't like kind of in the moment. But what did you think of this return of the dead man? Um. I think that the return is excellent. Like the like you said, the intro is the best part of this. 
But it's also kind of sad because you definitely watch this and feel like these are two guys that are past their prime. Um, and this is in 2004, before. Yeah, but I, they're really, not really past their prime. I mean, they're they're past the point where they were the center focus of everything, right? I guess. Um, I, okay, here's what I'll say. I don't think the wrestlers are past their prime. I think the story is past its prime. Yeah, yeah, that's a better way of putting it. Um, because these Undertaker, especially, is going to go on and have lots of great matches in this part of his career. So I, I just want to say that this is my favorite part of Undertaker's career right here. I gotcha. But yeah, no, it just feels like this is a, a little too little too late in some ways. That's that's fair. This is uh this is only the first time Undertaker's faced someone for a second time at WrestleMania. Uh so like this is this is the first Undertaker WrestleMania rematch, uh so to speak, cuz he faced Kane at WrestleMania 14. Um Yeah, we get lots of brawling. Undertaker is showing uh, again like a lot of that American badass style of wrestling, but he also, you know, does some of his uh some of his older moves like for instance he he tries to hit the old school uh which he hadn't done since he was uh you know dead man undertaker uh but uh but kane catches him midair for a choke slam and they're kind of both going for a choke slam uh but uh but it's kane who who gets the upper hand um a lot of choke slams between these two well it's because it's like the both of their like signature moves uh, although Kane uh, doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't pin him here, instead he's like celebrating and you know mocking Paul Bear, saying, "Look at the dead man." He tells him, "You know, I told you not to come back, you son of a bitch." Um, and then Taker does his classic sit up move, and then he hits a choke slam. Crowds on their feet, and then uh, and then Taker hits a tombstone and pins him for the win. This match was a uh, pretty like. It wasn't bad. It just, there was nothing, it wasn't, the match itself wasn't special. Like, it wasn't like, it felt, this did not feel like a WrestleMania match. This felt like a Monday Night Raw match. Yeah, and it didn't help that the pre-match promo and the entrances were literally longer than the match was. Well, of course, that I, I think is kind of a theme with The Undertaker. <laughs> true, true. We, we did talk about that at length uh, last episode as well. Um... But again, I mean, Undertaker, of course, has to win. He kind of has to squash Kane, you know, for his his return back. So I gave it a two point seven five out of five. Yeah, um, it, you know, like we talk about how Kane was invented just to be a counterpart to the Undertaker, but not only be a counterpart to the Undertaker, Kane was invented to lose to the Undertaker. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and you know this, so th- they have this match, and then Undertaker and Kane don't really cross paths at all for a while, because uh, like I said, they're on separate shows. Undertaker's on SmackDown, Kane's on Raw. They have this one-off match at WrestleMania, which they used to have a theme where Raw would have some pay-per-views and SmackDown would have some pay-per-views, and then the Big Four, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, and WrestleMania would be co-branded, and so on those occasions they could they could face each other from different shows so they have this match and then that's that's it they don't they don't cross paths again because they they stay on separate shows for a while undertaker ends up having 
bunch of random feuds uh, with just about everybody on SmackDown. Uh, pretty good one with Randy Orton. And then uh, he does, uh, we saw Paul Bearer come back, and Undertaker is managed by Paul Bearer for only a little while before they decide to take him off TV again in a very spectacular way. Um, oh, I'm so excited to hear what this is. So, Paul Bearer's always struggled with his weight issues, and they, they kept wanting him to lose more weight, so they would keep taking him off TV. So, one of Undertaker's first feuds when he comes back is with Paul Heyman, uh, who is managing the Dudley Boys. And so Undertaker has a feud with the Dudley Boys, and Paul Heyman, for some reason, kidnaps Paul Bearer. <laughs> And then he puts Undertaker in a match uh, in June of 2004, or sorry, July of 2004 at the Great American Bash, called a Concrete Crypt match, where the Undertaker faces both Dudleys, and if Undertaker, if the Dudleys win, then Paul Bearer will be buried in cement. Ah! They put Paul Bear on top of the stage in this glass case with a cement truck pouring cement into it. Uh, what they actually do is weird. They put, like, a double who was like, oh, I can hold my breath for a really long time, on the stage, but it's far away enough that the audience can't tell whether it's Paul Bear or not. And then they would do close-up shots that they would pull up on the big screen in the arena would be pre-recorded screen shots of Paul Bearer. Wow. So, you know, like, I do love that, like, sometimes, and really pretty much the only way, I, the only time I can think of it, like, is in Undertaker Kane storylines, and that's when, like, magician's art comes into wrestling. Yeah, uh, like with the buried alive match or this, like I do kind of love that though. Yeah, it's it's something. It's really goofy, but it's so much fun. It's about to get goofier because so here's what they decide. They're like, well, we want Undertaker to win, but we also need Paul Bearer to die. So how can we do that? Okay, so Undertaker wins and he gets to save Paul Bearer, but instead he walks up to the front and says, "I'm saving you." From myself, and then he pulls the le lever and buries Paul Bearer in cement. Ah, okay. So he kills him. He murdered him. Um, you know, like, there's canonically, a lot of back and forth on. He canonically murders Paul Bearer because, as we see, when Paul Bearer comes back later, he comes out of a casket. So I'm pretty sure that Undertaker canonically murdered Paul Bearer. Are we sure that Paul Bearer isn't also Undertaker's dad and that he didn't inherit being a zombie? Uh, I don't know. They don't ever really... It's not very clear. Um, also, so I noticed that he comes out with this urn in the first match here, and that's going to be a central theme of his character later. Was the urn always a thing? It was, and then it wasn't, and then it was again. It, it's only a thing whenever Paul Bearer is involved. Like, Paul Bearer will bring the urn with him, but once they get rid of Paul Bearer, they kind of drop the urn. Who or what is supposed to be in said urn? Um, I, I think before it's been Undertaker's parents, and then it's also been, like, just his source of power. Uh, again, 
all the Undertaker and Kane story is basically just made up to fit whatever story they're trying to tell at the moment. Fair enough. So, Kane, or Undertaker kills Paul Bearer, um, and he just ne- never, like, the next night on SmackDown, they're just like, well, Paul Bearer suffered very terrible injuries. Ugh, I would imagine so. Yeah. Um, so, the, uh, there are a couple of times Undertaker and Kane cross paths. Um, there's this weird moment at the Royal Rumble 2005 where Undertaker's having a casket match with, oh God, they used to put Undertaker with the worst opponents, like Heidenreich, who couldn't wrestle a paper bag. <laughs> um, and they had him in a casket match with Heidenreich, and then Heidenreich also became friends with Gene Snitsky, who was a guy who was feuding with Kane, and so Kane came and chased him off and helped out The Undertaker. And they were actually thinking about having a WrestleMania tag team match with them, but Heidenreich and Snitsky were such bad wrestlers, they didn't do it. Uh, there was a little bit of a SmackDown versus Raw feud, and there was like a moment where they kind of clashed for a bit, but they don't really cross paths again until 2006 when uh, Kane loses a Loser Leaves Raw match against Umaga, and uh, every time they do a Loser Leaves Raw match, it's always like, okay, the Loser Leaves Raw, I guess that means they're going to SmackDown. Um, right, right. That's what that always means. They always try to sell it like, oh, God, they're out of a job now. Um, I always so love Kane- wrestling matches that are purported to end in someone losing their job. And there are a lot of them. So Kane comes over to SmackDown. He starts a feud with MVP, Montel Vontavious Porter, who his gimmick is... He's like... He's like a super like lucrative free agent for who knows what reason. Yeah, because they make this comment about him being the highest paid wrestler on SmackDown, which I feel is not true. That can't be true. Also, why is he so needed if, like, no wrestling exists outside of the WWE, according to them? (laughs) Um, So Kane's feuding with MVP, while Undertaker is feuding with Mr. Kennedy, whose gimmick is he's his own ring announcer. Yeah, no, I Um, like that uh, Mr. Kennedy comes in and says that he is the future of sports entertainment. Um, judging by the fact that I've never heard of him before this match, I'm going to say that that uh, wasn't true. Here's the thing with Mr. Kennedy is WWE really wanted to push him. The problem was he was so goddamn injury prone. He would, like, breathe too heavy and he'd, like, tear a muscle. He's like uh, a horse. He kept getting injured and he kept injuring other people. He was actually, they were going to, you know, he won the Money in the Bank ladder match, but he got injured, so he had to. He's the only person, I think, or at least the first person to ever lose the Money in the Bank contract. He, uh, they were originally going to use him for the weird storyline where Vince McMahon had an illegitimate son in the company, and it was going to be Mr. Kennedy. Uh, but he got injured, and so they didn't do that. Oh, man. And that would have been such a big push for him, too. Exactly. And he ended up going to TNA, and he he went by his real name, which is Ken Anderson. So now he's just Mr. Anderson, and he does the exact same gimmick. Ah. Um, well, I, you know, I do want to just sort of, because I think that the show does a good job of this um, uh, unintentionally, but I want to really just pour, pour on 
the period of time that we're in here. Because this show is brought to us by Need for Speed Carbon and Borat. Um, <laughs> and when this show aired, Peyton, you and I were in art class together in the sixth grade. Oh, And look nice. at us now, still making art, although not visually. And I'm not sure you can call this art, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to call this art. Cute. And this is SmackDown, November 3rd, 2006. Um, so basically the, uh, the backstory here is that, uh, is that last week on SmackDown, uh, MVP was supposed to wrestle Kane, but he invoked a sick clause and had Mr. Kennedy fight in his place, uh, and, and they're able to kind of steal a victory from Kane. So they're going to have a tag team match and Kane enlists the help of his big brother, The Undertaker. Um, which they mentioned that this is the first time that Undertaker and Kane have teamed together since Survivor Series 2001. It's been five years since these two have teamed together. Um, the Brothers of Destruction. And I, you know, I think for what this match was, I think it was pretty entertaining. Um, yeah, it's wacky, that's for sure. Do you not agree? No, no. I mean, I do think you're right. I think it's it's entertaining. Um, it's just one of those that is. Uh, I mean, it's definitely telling a story. It's not a wrestling match. Yeah, the whole match is basically Undertaker and Kane beating up MVP and Kennedy. Um, they start the match looking absolutely terrified on the outside. They argue about who's going to start in the match. Mr. Kennedy starts, but instead he turns around, and tags in MVP. Um, and then, yeah, we just get lots of, of dominating here. Uh, the Brothers of Destruction hit double big boots, falls by, followed by a clothesline to the outside. And then MVP and Mr. Kennedy just say, fuck it, and they walk, they start walking to the back and get themselves counted out. But that's when General Manager Teddy Long, holla, 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 playa, comes out and tells them to go back into the ring, that it's being restarted, and now there are no countouts. Um, and the weird thing was, we go to commercial break, and then we come back, and they're still standing there. And I feel like that had to be really weird for the live audience. Yeah, probably so. Man, okay, um, like, who gave this general manager so much power over matches? The general manager... See, everything in WWE, the rules of WWE are, the rules are whatever make work best for the story. Right. So the general manager has the power to do anything as long as it makes sense for the story. Oh, oh, so he's the general manager of the show. I thought he was the manager of these wrestlers, and that's why I was so confused. Oh, no, no, no. Yes, he, Teddy Long is the manager of SmackDown. Gotcha. Yes. Uh... Yeah, if he was managing those two, he wouldn't want them to go fight again. Now I have a question, statistics-wise. Does that um, does that DQ still count as a win? Uh, probably not. Yeah, are you basically asking, is this like three separate matches? Well, not to give any spoilers, but yes. Well, you just did when you said, does that DQ count as a win? Oh, I meant DQ. I, I mean, there's... I was counting the count out as a DQ. That's what it meant. Sure. But anyways. Uh, I don't think so. I think I think in the record books this is going to count as one match. Gotcha. 
Um, so MVP and Kennedy go back into the ring. Uh, well, they start to go back in the ring. Mr. Kennedy hangs back while MVP goes in by himself, and he gets beat up. Um, JBL says this. JBL is one of the commentators. He says, the Brothers of Destruction are the greatest tag team in the history of wrestling. I'm like, all right. Okay. Yeah. Let's just downplay the Hardys, the Dudleys, and everyone else who has ever been a fantastic tag team. The Undertaker and Kane are, I don't even know that you can really call them a tag team. And I almost... They're opponents more than their partners. Yeah, and I almost feel like because it's because like tag teams don't get the same sort of spotlight that standalone wrestlers do. So it's it's the supergroup problem, right? Is that like you put together this tag team of two really good standalone wrestlers and they're basically going to have to just beat everyone they come into contact with. Yeah. Yeah. They're like Batman and Superman. Right. And much like Batman and Superman, their moms have the same name. Indeed she does. Um, so, Taker goes old school on MVP, uh, knocks Kennedy off the apron. Um, eventually, the, uh, let's see here. Um... Kane comes in, hits a sidewalk slam, a flying clothesline from the top rope. Mr. Kennedy breaks up the pin. Taker chases him around the ring. He slides back in just as Kane has MVP set up for a choke slam, and he hits a low blow, and the ref calls for a disqualification. And, of course, what's going to happen is Teddy Long is going to come back out again and restart the match once more, but now with no disqualifications. Um, so, uh, Taker and Kane meet. Kennedy and MVP on the entrance ramp, and they start throwing them in the steps in the announce table. Um, JBL says, Teddy Long is about to be arrested for homicide. Yeah, no, I love that. He's an accomplice at this point. Uh, Undertaker and Kane start doing this thing where they're basically competing with each other to see who can kick the most ass. Um, I will say that element of this match is pretty fun. Like, I like the idea of them just being like, hey, who can... Who can score the most points on these guys? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I also like when Undertaker uh, drops uh, uh, MVP? Kennedy? Somebody on the top rope. And he normally falls that up with a big boot, but instead Kane swipes in and hits hits the big boot himself, and he just kind of like shrugs his shoulders and like, yeah. like flips out of the ring. That, that part was... That was pretty funny, actually. I did like that. Um... Kane gets both guys set up for a choke slam, but they kick him in the gut, followed with a double DDT. They both try to pin, but Kane kicks out, and both brothers sit up in the middle of the ring. They hit simultaneous choke slams, and then Taker hits a tombstone on MVP and gets the win. Uh, we get a really cool post match thing where, uh, where Undertaker kneels down, the lights go blue, Kane sets off his pyro. I thought this was a fun match to watch. It was fun. It was fun. But, it, man, it made these guys look terrible. That's true. And these are young guys are trying to put over. Um, I gave it a three and a quarter stars. I actually think I might have ranked this match better than anything in... Yes, this was the, my highest ranked match was this tag team match. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, and then uh, they'll go around teaming together periodically. Um, they don't really wrestle for quite some time against each other um, until, um, and they'll kind of go their separate ways on their separate shows. Undertaker has a really great uh, storyline with Shawn Michaels where he wrestles him at back-to-back WrestleManias in some of the best matches of all time. Um, And Kane will go on and win the World Heavyweight title, finally properly winning a world championship. Uh, because the only other time he won the world title was when he won it for one day and lost it to Austin the next day. So Kane finally gets his, you know, spot winning the world title. Um, Which, man, did he have to... He had to lose a lot to get there. Sure. Um, He has this rivalry with Rey Mysterio, and... he, he He apparently finds out that The Undertaker was attacked and put into some sort of vegetative state. And Kane is going around trying to being a detective, trying to figure out who attacked his brother. He accuses Rey Mysterio, but it turns out that it was Kane the whole time. Oh, and Kane is like, this was my plan all along! <laughs> to wait 13 years... To attack him. He also mentions that, like, once again, oh, The Undertaker has gotten too compassionate. Uh, he was too nice to Shawn Michaels when he beat him and retired him because he shook his hand or whatever the fuck. Um, <laughs> I do love the idea of, like, he's not enough of a monster. Which, okay, with the whole, when the this happened the first time, that he was like, he's not enough of a monster, he's a faker. Is he... Saying that he is a faker, that he is a monster acting like a normal person, or that he was a faker the whole time he was being a zombie, but he was actually secretly a biker, so now I'm going to make him a real zombie. Maybe? It's unclear. It is very unclear. Um, yeah, he, uh, he basically, he attacks Undertaker at Night of Champions, beats the hell out of him, um... And then he says that he has decided that Taker's End will come at Hell in a Cell, the same place he made his debut. So we're at Hell in a Cell 2010 with a Hell in a Cell match um, because they just name pay-per-views after match types now. Um, Which is just so... In the pre-match promo, we do see Undertaker sitting at the bottom of a staircase when someone comes in, and he's like, Go away! (laughs) And then he realizes who it is. Uh, later, some druids bring a casket down to the ring. Kane opens it up, and it's Paul Bearer. Uh, the man so himself. Paul Bearer is back from the dead. I kind of feel like we just kind of do the same thing over and over again in this story, huh? Don't we? Yeah, no. And, like, the, it's such a fun story. There's so much you could do with it. But instead, you're like, what if we killed and then resurrected one of them? <laughs> Exactly. They just keep killing people over and over again. Uh, it's, it's like, like a, a damn comic opera. book. No one stays dead. Yeah. Except for the parents, which is also like a comic book. See, wouldn't that have been a fun angle if the parents came back to life? Now, that would be something. Um, before the, Okay, so I do want to talk about someone in this in this match, or not in this match, but I want to talk about one of the commentators. I want to talk about Matt Stryker. 
Matt Stryker is a former wrestler who became a commentator and is way too hype about wrestling. He hypes everything up uh, just a tad too much. He works for Lucha Underground now, which is much more suited for him because Lucha Underground is supposed to be kind of like a telenovela. And that works. But he says this whoo, crazy line where he calls the match a father's nightmare, a mother's sin, and a sadist's dream. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. That's, uh, that's, that exactly describes this match to a T. That is a wild, wild sentence. It is. It is. You're not wrong. That is crazy. In, in, oh. in what ways is it these things? I mean, the sadist's dream, that one makes sense. You're watching someone get beat up a lot. But a father's nightmare and a mother's sin? I guess I can see how it's a father's nightmare because you wouldn't want your sons to 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 try to kill each other. Okay. Yeah, okay. You I, that and up. a mother's sin, I guess I can't understand because apparently she had an affair with Paul Bearer. So actually, you know what? He might be right. Okay. You know what? After we deconstructed it, did a little literary analysis, eh, it does work, I guess. Um so let's uh let's go to the match. Uh Undertaker comes down to the ring with Paul Bear. Paul Bear is like, Do you need me in here? Which I don't know what you're gonna do. I and he's like love that. I love that Paul Bear is like I don't know, he's like a dad with his preschooler on the first day of preschool or something like, Hey, you, you <laughs> need me in here, bud? You sure it's okay if I leave? And yeah, it's not his first rodeo. I do think it's interesting that despite despite how tied Kane is to the Hell in a Cell and to the Undertaker, these two have never wrestled in a Hell in a Cell. Yeah, and man, they probably shouldn't have by the way this match went. Well, maybe they should have earlier or something. Yeah. Um Kane starts attacking them and they're brawling outside the cell before going back in the inside. Um Kane gets a steel chair, uh, but Taker kicks it back into his face. Um, I believe this is Matt Stryker saying these weird things where he says, Paul Bear had an affair with a woman in the bowels of a funeral home. That offspring was revealed to be the demon spawn Kane. The so is he bowels implying? of a funeral home. The bowels, yes. Is he also implying that Paul Bearer is the devil? Oh, man. That does imply Paul Bearer is a demon, but here's the thing. Maybe he is. He did come back to life. He has some kind of... We've got to add to our powers list the powers of Paul Bearer. Being big. Being able to come back to life. Earn handling. <laughs> there you go. And, and somehow getting a woman to have sex with him. Yes. A married woman. Which, I mean, I, I I guess we've never seen their mom. We don't really know. Don't really know how she is, you know, in comparison to Paul Bearer. But I'll I'll give that to as a superpower to a man with the stature of uh, of Bearer. Um, here's another thing he says. Having a brother was the only thing that humanized Undertaker, that made him of the flesh. <laughs> Yeah, no, I thought that was that was a wild line too. I noticed that as well. What what are these? What are these things <laughs> he is saying? 
You think you can just say these things, Matt Stryker, but you can't. <laughs> Taker starts slamming Kane into the cell. He tries to Irish whip him, but uh, Kane sends Taker into the steel steps. He's now kind of focusing on Undertaker's leg, hitting him in the leg with the chair. Uh, he lodges Taker's leg in between the steel steps, hits it with a chair. Uh, he ends up charging at Undertaker, but instead Undertaker moves out of the way and Kane crashes into the cell. Undertaker and Kane start doing some mat wrestling in the ring. Yeah. Uh, in a Hell in a Cell match. In a Hell in a Cell, yeah. Um, They start brawling a little bit. Finally, Undertaker hits a jumping clothesline. He goes for the old school... But Kane knocks him down onto the top rope. Matt Stryker calls Undertaker the man that Satan calls Sir. Yeah, no, I thought that was actually kind of a fun line. I really think he might have, like, written down a list of things that he could say about <laughs> this match and pulled them out of a hat as he as it was going on. Oh, this, okay, there's one point where he, like, talks about how Kane is a lie. Wh- what? I guess because he wasn't actually burned, I think that might be the lie. Okay. Maybe Stryker is just too deep in the lore, man. I think so. I think he's, like, really trying his hardest to... He's, like, one of those people that, like, tries really hard, and they're like, look, the Zelda timeline does make sense. Um, He's, like, George Lucasing this match. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Kane eventually tries to cover Undertaker, but Taker locks him in the Hell's Gate, which is a, a move he started doing kind of late in his career. It was like a MMA-style triangle choke kind of move. That's kind of cool, but not really for a Hell in a Cell match. Um, oh, here we go. Another great line by Matt Stryker. Matt Stryker's the best part of this match. Kane needs to get the oxygen back to his brain so he can come up with some more sadistic thoughts. Yeah! <laughs> Uh, both brothers sit up in the center of the ring. They're, like, trading punches from their knees. Um, eventually, uh, Undertaker is able to, uh, or Kane hits a choke slam, gets a near fall. Undertaker, he starts climbing up in the corner and punching him in the corner, but Taker grabs him and hits the last ride. Pins for two and a half. Then he finally goes for the tombstone, but Kane reverses it into one of his own. Kane kicks out of the tombstone. Kane punches the referee because he's so mad. They call for help, and they start getting that referee out from one fucking punch, apparently. Referees are so... Uh, referees are made out of fucking glass. <laughs> they absolutely are. And also, okay, I get that it's a Hell in a Cell match, which I guess comes with the implied sort of no disqualifications. But you'd think punching the ref would still be a disqualification. No, it's no DQ. You can't be disqualified. You can beat up the ref all you want, man. You can murder a man. And sure, you can be arrested by the police, but you can't be disqualified from this match. This match is still going on. Um, While they open the cell, I got so excited. I was like, oh, yeah, they're finally going to go out the cell. But nope, Paul Bear is just going to come into the ring. Yeah, Um, and so far they have done... Almost nothing with the cell itself. Yeah. I did notice, though, that Kane was bleeding for real. Yeah, I think 
somewhere in that brawling outside uh, when he maybe hit his head on the cell or hit his head on the steps, I think. Yeah. Something happened there. Um, so Bear comes into the ring with the urn, and Kane yells at him, You shouldn't have come back. You should have stayed buried in cement. Um, Taker sits up, and Kane turns right around into a choke slam. Taker signals for the end, and the lights go blue, and fires start shooting out of the stage. Okay. This is the point I have to ask. Does Undertaker have the power to control fire as well? I guess. So, does that mean that Kane really has no unique powers that Undertaker does not already have? Yeah, it seems like it. I guess he learned everything from the Undertaker. What a what a scrub, man. Yeah, I know, right? Some sort of light comes out of the urn and Bear hands it to him, or he hands it to Kane, and Kane hits Undertaker with the urn and then choke slams him for the three count. Yeah, it's dumb. What the fuck uh, was this? I'm I'm glad that we both like came to the same conclusion of this ending sucks. Like it's like Undertaker and Kane finally having a feud. This is the first time they've had a proper feud since 2004 in which they only had one match. So we are really in this like Undertaker and Kane feud. And then we have the goofiest fucking ending with Paul Bearer turning on someone again. Wow, who could have seen that fucking coming? Yeah. Um and it they barely used the cell. They barely used any weapons. It was like a regular match that happened to take place inside a cell. And that's the thing about this that's the worst to me is that it's like this back and forth of like, oh man, you know, he, he tombstone the Undertaker, he still can't pin him. What, what could he possibly do to, to pin this man? Apparently, hit him gently with an urn is the answer to that question. Yeah. Or blind him with whatever substance is coming out of it i i don't know man this this is not that great no but it's kind of par for the course of the undertaker and kane i'm gonna give it i put on here two out of five but i'm actually gonna give it one out of five i would agree that shit sucked (laughs) it was so dumb uh well they they continue their feud now with paul bearer working with kane um, this man, I don't know why they trust this motherfucker anymore. Yeah, no, why every time, every time Kane or The Undertaker is like, you know what, Paul, you seem like a good dude. He is always going to betray whatever side he is on. His only try to s- allegiance is to his betrayals. They try to sell it as if it's like some big shocker or surprise, but it's not. Yeah, no, um, it's it's always very dumb. So we go to Bragging Rights 2010 in what will be the final, to this point, matchup between Undertaker and Kane. Uh, the first time they've ever wrestled in a buried alive match, and also this is uh this is the last match for the Undertaker as a as a part of the main roster. It's after this that he becomes a part timer. So this is his last full time feud and match. What a um, terrible way to go, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he ends up 
having plenty more matches. He just is not wrestling regularly on TV and anything. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Josh Matthews is standing inside the grave to explain the rules of a Buried Alive match, which, of all the matches that need to be described, this is the one that does not because it's in the name. Yeah, it's pretty self-explanatory. He calls this the final chapter of the Brothers of Destruction. Yeah, I'm sure they've said that every other time. Uh, the pre-match promo show has a creepy voice reading over shots of grave sites. I'll say, whoever did this this package, they did a really good job. I thought that's it was, the thing is that these are always the best part. Yeah. Um, we hear Kane say that Undertaker has been betrayed by everyone closest to him, like Paul Bearer. Uh, don't worry, Kane. Your time will come shortly. <laughs> um. At some point, Undertaker comes out of the ring and pulls Kane into the hole. Yeah, um, that was really goofy. Because they're like, oh man, where could this hole lead to? Um, the underside of the ring. The- no, it leads directly to hell, don't <laughs> you know? Um, as Kane comes out for the match, Undertaker attacks him on the entrance ramp. Taker slams Kane into the steel steps. We start brawling in the crowd a little bit. Um, When we come back to ringside, Undertaker just starts throwing chairs into the ring. He throws the covering of the announce table into the ring. Uh, Tries to hit Kane with a chair, but Kane gets back out when we go back into the crowd. Um, In the ring, Kane starts using the chair, and he's able to hit Undertaker with two choke slams. He uh, drags him out of the ring and just starts carrying him up to the gravesite, but Undertaker is able to fight out of it. They start trading punches. Now we're up in the mound of dirt. Undertaker's signaling for the end, but uh, he goes for a choke slam, and Kane either gets a thumb to the eye or he throws some dirt in his face. I'm not sure. Um, and that's when Undertaker locks in the Hell's Gate again. Kane's tapping out. And and Taker finally releases the hold and rolls Kane into the grave. Bearer is kind of lurking behind the grave, and Undertaker comes after him. Of course, this is the shit that always happens. Undertaker takes his mind off Kane, and what happens? Oh, he pays for it. Right. Um, you know, he just starts rubbing Paul Bearer's face in the dirt for some reason. I do think okay because this is all the way in 2010. I think that this match type, like the crazy match styles, don't really work as well when you can't be as brutal. That's true. Because, like, a Buried Alive match, like, the idea is that you incapacitate the person so much that they're basically completely passed out while you're burying them. And it's hard to do that without weapons and without, like, blood. Yeah. Yeah, this this was pretty disappointing, especially because... The Nexus shows up, which is like a stable that I don't really know because I wasn't really watching wrestling at the time. But they're like a bunch of guys from NXT who just would show up and beat people up just fucking because. Yeah, I I don't know what they have to do with Undertaker or what they have to do with Kane, but they show up and they beat up Undertaker. This is how every every Buried Alive match always ends with someone running in and burying the person. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, there have been five Buried Alive matches. None of them have ended without interference. Let me ask you something. Without giving away the end of this match, the previous four matches, I know at least two have been lost by Undertaker. What is the result of the other two? 
Um, so he so he won the first one, but he still got buried in the end. They still buried him anyway. Okay. After, after the match, uh, the second one was a tag team match, and I think he won that one. Um, it was like Undertaker and Big Show versus Triple H and Mankind. I can't remember. Weird to have a it's tag a team very, buried for, alive match. It was a very forgotten buried alive match because it was a tag team match and it was on SmackDown. But yeah, Undertaker mostly lose. Oh, okay, it's Undertaker and Big Show versus Rock and Mankind. Um, wow, and that sounds like such a dope ass lineup. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they do end up winning, but it's Triple H who interferes to make them make them lose. Gotcha. But yeah, uh, that's the only one he does. It doesn't end with Undertaker being buried. Because uh, um, you kind of can't. You have to bury Undertaker. Yeah, he's the only he's, one that can bounce back from that. Well, him and Paul Bearer, apparently. Um, well, uh, see, Paul Bearer is only Im- impervious to uh, cement. Ah. Um. So Kane hits Undertaker in the head with an urn. And he falls into the grave, and the Nexus starts shoveling dirt onto him. But he tells him to stop. He sets off his pyro. His music plays as the bulldozer empties the dirt into the grave. The commentators are, like, so confused. And King is like, I thought this was just supposed to be burying him with a shovel, but he summoned a bulldozer and emptied dirt on the Undertaker. Wow, I can't believe that this happened for the first time ever. That shit happens exactly in the Survivor Series. (laughs) Very likely. (laughs) Where Kane summons a bulldozer and does the exact same pyro set-off thing, and it buries Undertaker. Literally, the... The other time that Kane buries Undertaker, the exact same thing happens, and they act like it was fucking new. Uh, and like, and that's he came back from the dirt from the dead last time. What do you think's gonna happen? Yeah, they act like this is the end every time, and it's like you just can't sell that anymore. Yeah, no, I agree. Which it's... is. Makes sense as to why there's never been another Buried Alive match. And there's only ever been five. So, anyway, I gave this a star and a half. This was another disappointing undertaker Kane match. Honestly, this was like a .5. This match sucks. Yeah, this match is terrible. It's... Why was the Nexus in there? Why was it so... I don't know why these matches are so bad, but they are. They just got worse and worse, too. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, so, overall, do we know what Undertaker Kane's record is? Like, what is their their win-loss? Because I imagine it is... Okay, so 7-5 to five to 4 draws. Undertaker's won 7 times. Kane has won 5 times. Uh, although, I will say... That four of those wins were in one year. Okay, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is it seems like like Kane got to actually win some at the end, but that was it. So Kane only beat Undertaker one time before 2010. Yeah. Wow. Damn. Huh. Um. But yeah, man. Uh, what a, what a weak way to end their feud. What a, 
Yeah, I know. It should have been a huge, big blow-off. It's just so mishandled. Yeah, it is, really. It's very disappointing. It's a it's a kooky fun story, but it just got worse and worse as it went. I, mean, that's a, I was actually expecting these last two matches to be okay, but they weren't. No, they were terrible. And that's the thing that I hate too is that like I love this story. I love this Undertaker Kane represents everything about wrestling that I like. Everything that to me makes it uh, a good time. But man, they just threw it away here at the end. But I wish that the WWE would do more stuff like this. Or, well, not necessarily WWE, but I wish someone was out there making these really goofy stories still. Um, do you mean... (laughs) Allow me to introduce you to the final deletion. Okay, excellent point. Matt Hardy's out there doing God's work, which I think we are... We're still slated to cover that, correct? We are gonna talk about that, for sure. Um... But uh, also, overall, it seems like Undertaker's got the, the power set ahead of him because he basically has all of Kane's powers, plus he can be resurrected and shoot lightning. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I think that, um, I think that when we, in the analysis of the power set, it is, you know, Undertaker, Kane, Paul Bear coming in third. Oh, yes, of course. Okay. Can't forget about old Paul. I, at the risk of alienating some of the audience um and just because of the resurrection power jesus wait i think he has less powers actually than undertaker jesus has less powers than undertaker I is that what you said jesus christ has less powers than undertaker i mean yeah they really just share that one huh yeah, uh, but and then like the J Man's also includes like multiplying food, walking on water, turning water to wine, which are pretty good, and healing people. He has does have healing powers. I will say, Undertaker does have a few more powers. Uh, he did possess somebody one time in a in his feud with Randy Orton. He possessed Josh Matthews, the backstage interviewer, and he started talking like Undertaker. Oh, that's amazing. So he did that as well. Yeah. Um. He in one of those pre-match promos he lifted the ring. Um yeah, okay, so super strength's on there too. Yeah, man. Well, I, he didn't lift it with his arms. He like lifted it like levitated. Oh, oh, telekinesis even better. Yeah. So yeah, Undertaker's really like extremely OP. And uh I will I will kind of I do want to kind of tell you a little bit about the future. So uh Kane continues teaming with Paul Bearer for a while until, get this, Kane decides that he's too dangerous to be around Paul Bearer, and he says, Paul, I'm saving you from myself, and he pushes Paul Bearer down the stairs, and he kills him. Well, that's... So they redid the Undertaker thing. They love redoing shit, (sighs) man. Yeah, that's dumb, man. Yeah, and then eventually Paul Bearer died for real, and I don't think he's coming back. Um, hey man, he's got the power of resurrection, you never know. Yeah, if you just yeah. wave a hot dog in front of that grave, he'll pop up for it. Oh, 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 come on, man. <laughs> come on, man, he really is dead, though. Um, I mean... 
And they, they did kind of a terrible thing where, uh, so after Paul Bearer died, they used it in a feud between CM Punk and The Undertaker. Oh, that and, is... And he, and he was, like, insulting Paul Bearer, and he brought out an urn that supposedly contained Paul Bearer's ashes. You know, though, would, would Mr. Paul Bearer have it any other way? That's the question. Uh, who knows? Well, uh, I think uh, I think we're about done here. I, 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 yeah, I think that the... that's a pretty good conclusion. That pretty much wraps Undertaker Kane. What a fun story! I I loved it, man. I I, I really enjoyed this uh, this couple episodes. Well, that about does it for this edition of Turnbuckle Training. Uh, on our next episode, we're going to be talking about uh, Zach, probably your favorite wrestler. Yes. Uh, Mr. Mr. Mick Foley. Uh, we're going to be doing things a little bit different, so we're not really going to be watching matches so much as we're just going to be looking back through Mick Foley's career, uh, looking through some of his greatest moments, greatest promos, greatest matches, all that kind of stuff. We're just going to be shooting the shit about old, old Mickles, huh? Yeah, man, I am hyped for it. I'm hyped for sort of the new way we're going to be going about doing the show, and I am super excited to be talking about Mick Foley. All right, that's coming up for you in two weeks. You can also keep up with us 24-7 on Twitter, at Turnbuckle Train. And don't forget to uh, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Music, Google Store, Spotify, what have you. Uh, and give us, a, give us a review if you can. Thanks for listening. Undertaker debuted in 1991. He was a zombie guy, and he was pretty fun. But by 1997, things were getting kind of stale, so they gave him Kane from the fiery pits of hell. Taker didn't like Kane, but he promised not to fight him. But his stepdad, Paul Bearer, would come back to bite him. So Taker broke his promise to his dead mom and dad and agreed to fight his brother. Yeah, the story's kind of sad. Taker beat his brother up until 2010, but right near his retirement, Kane started to win, but back before that, Taker had to change his style and traded out his faded black duster for a while. Then he was a biker, an American badass, but Stone Cold was already a redneck without glass. Kane hated Taker being American flag clad, so he hatched a plot with his devious stepdad. They put him in a hole and they covered him in dirt And for about two months their plan really worked But a world without Taker just wasn't meant to last And also Kane began to wrestle with no mask So Taker resurrected and he came back undead With the fire and the lightning, no bandana on his head Kane enjoyed his family's old construction The two teamed up as the Brothers of Destruction just as all good things must come to an end. Our story concludes with a big dirt hole again. Falling for another Paul Bearer distraction, Taker was buried and put out of action. This has been the story of Taker and Kane, a couple of fun guys who wrestle kind of lame.
Get ready for the bonkerest event of the summer. A Three Big Dudes production. Starring me, professional toe sucker. No, we won't talk about that, but we will talk about Waluigi, Dog with a Blog, the similarities between Alf and Cousin Skeeter, and of course, the Slithler. It's Feud Fight, where we take the wild questions most people won't touch and give our scalding hot takes. And I also say terrible things that could loosely be considered word crimes, just to keep things a little spicy. Every Monday, wherever you find your podcasts.